has been around for thousands of years, but Canadians are increasingly turning to new methods such as mobile wallets and contactless solutions to make everyday payments. No matter what the future of payments holds, Interact will be there to help Canadians transact with confidence across multiple platforms and devices. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hello, everyone. It's Friday, July 19th. I've got the regular N-Thread crew here, Shannon Proudfoot of McLean's and David Reevely of the Canadian Press. Happy Friday to you both. Hi. Hello. Happy Friday to you. Hello. How is everyone's summer treating them? It's hot. It's hot. It's really hot. It's That's really like hot. the defining feature of it. Yeah. And uh, work-wise, politics-wise, we are waiting for the alleged slowdown because mm-hmm. it does not really seem to be happening. Mm-hmm. The House isn't sitting, but it's we're in pre, pre-election mode. And right. Ministers are everywhere doing everything. And yeah. opposition leaders are everywhere doing everything. No one's taking Summits, a... crazy things. Barbecue circuit is is not just laid back barbecue beers. It's like, uh, no. It's, hi, it's a high intensity yeah, barbecue high inti- circuit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll get right into it. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau welcomed lawmakers and trade negotiators from Europe to Montreal this week as part of the Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement, CETA Talks. This is a free, free trade agreement between the European Union and its member states and Canada. It's been more than two years since the agreement was initially signed. And while the majority of members have have formally agreed onto it, there are still some steps needed to get to get the wheels fully in motion. But something like I was reading 90% of the provisions of this deal are already in place. So what does it give um, Canada preferred access to or what what industries does it help? Virtually everyone uh, that potentially exports to Europe, Europe or imports things you know from Europe to right. do other things with here. Uh, one of the the big deals that the Canadian government is making a lot of is that it gives uh, Canadian companies equal access to public sector contracts in Europe, okay. and that is a three point three trillion dollar wow. market uh, for all like all kinds of services for construction for for you name it. Uh, and okay. those are some things that uh, we are pretty good at, and does not necessarily require you. To to you know, launch a marketing campaign to consumers. Right. You just have to make a bid. Yeah. And so that's, there's the, the Canadian government sees a lot of lot of potential there. Um, there's been notable pushback from from some Canadian parliamentarians, notably NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and and uh, Green Party leader. Uh, Elizabeth May. A letter was signed. Something like seven politicians signed on to it. Uh, was sent to French lawmakers um, expressing their concern and, and suggesting that they don't ratify it. Why was what was the the reasoning behind that letter? So their objection is they say that basically the agreement gives too much power to corporations. That it's the kind of classic argument of this will benefit the big guys and not the worker bees and like it will not have a trickle down effect that it gives them too much power in terms of regulation harmonization and protections and and things like that that it's a it's a kind of benefit the top of the food chain and not the bottom there are other um criticisms and also statistical suggestions Mm. that CETA has not been super beneficial to Canada yet. Um, I think particularly the agri-food sector has been quite outspoken about it, but that basically exports from Europe have increased, our exports to Europe have decreased, therefore Hmm. widening the trade imbalance. So, so far it looks like Europe and European producers have benefited more. Um, And the government doesn't, like, they don't have a particular direct rebuttal to that. The Mm. answer has been more wait, it's coming. Like this sets the stage for us to continue to make more advantageous deals, but they don't 
I haven't heard at least like a direct rebuttal in of a way in which that is not true or not a valid concern at this point. I, I think the flip side of that argument is that Canadians are buying stuff we want from Europe and that those those purchases are very diffuse. You yeah. know, individual companies buying from individual suppliers, individual, you know, uh, groceries buying European products right. that Canadians presumably want to purchase. But you don't get sort of a lobby group saying we want English chips in our stores. We want, right. you know, French uh, French cheese. Um, definitely and so on. Yeah, but, yeah, well, right yeah, you do. I was going to say, you do get a... Sorry, yeah. Well, you probably I will, I will make a lobby organization group. for that. Shannon will lead that group. <laughs> but you do get the lobby groups from the, the agri-food producers right. who are very organized, and they can make a point. Like, we are not selling this stuff to Europe. Like, well, if Europeans don't want to buy stuff from us, yeah. and we do, Jews. as individuals, right. want to buy stuff you from Europe. You can't control that yeah, it doesn't make it that's way in. It, that doesn't make its way into the political conversation as as clearly. Uh, but obviously, if and there's demand, there's demand. Hasn't it been touted too that um, because of the increase of shipments to you know different ports and in Montreal, for instance, that 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 has created a whole bunch of jobs as well. So there's there's sort of a it, there's there's benefits to it. And they would way. argue certainly for spin-off effects. Yeah, they they can point to some tangible, I think there's 200 new jobs at the Montreal port because shipping is up like 7% there. So it's a plausible enough argument that it will come or that it just opens up channels more. Right. Um, but yeah, it's I, I guess it depends on depends on what side you're on, like everything else these days. Well, and but it, the, the point, the bigger point for the government or where it, it could be positioned as a win or important is with things being so unstable yes. and um, tense to outright hostile with other trading partners, this gives access to a pretty huge, diverse, attractive right. market and vice versa when things are not going hunky-dory with the U.S. or with China yeah. or with any other. I mean, the, the fact remains, I think, still 75% of our trade is with the U.S. So that is a very hard gap to fill. Right. But diversification has certainly been the the big watchword the last year or yes. two because of that instability. Yes, perhaps it's a step in the right direction given that uh, all that's been happening. Also, to that point, because well, I think it was Trudeau yesterday who said, um, you know, I, I don't, I can't think of a more progressive group to to trade with that the NDP or the Green Party would want than the European Union. We're looking at who to trade with in terms of, you know, China, U.S. The European Union's probably the, as progressive as it's yeah. going to. Who has standards yeah. equivalent to Canada's, or in some cases that we might aspire to, right. for environmental protections, for labor protections, for other social standards. Yes, they are. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, with many individual exceptions, but broadly, Europe is to the left of Canadian politics. Right. So if you're a New Democrat, if you're a New Democrat and you want trade, and that might not be a gigantic <laughs> group, but if you do, as Trudeau says, who else are... Yes. Yeah, would you rather deal with Donald Trump's America? Yes. Many of the countries have signed on. Where does Britain stand on this? So what happens is in excess of 90% of the provisions kicked in provisionally in 2017. So there's only like little bits around the margins that yeah. would further kick in once it's ratified. I think it's at 13 of 20 EU yeah. nations have ratified so far. For Britain, it remains in effect until Brexit takes effect. Yeah. And then Britain would have to renegotiate a new deal with Canada. Uh. But already they have explicitly said, and, and the kind of it's kind of one of those things like it's like there's certainly no wheeling and dealing going on in the NHL on June 30th, <laughs> the day before you're allowed to, but at 9.02 a.m. on July 1st, 
deals get done mighty fast. Yeah. So the, Britain is not officially allowed to negotiate with Canada or anyone else, any other party, until the Brexit divorce actually happens. But there's been lots of talks, and they've explicitly said they would base any new kind of Britain-Canada bilateral deal on CETA. They see it as, as a model. So they're sort of in until they're out, and then they got to craft their own version. Okay. And so something that was brought up there, though, was, is what we're going to talk about in this next segment. Uh, on Sunday, President Donald Trump posted a, a series of tweets calling on progressive Democratic congresswomen to, quote, go back to the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came. And if they take issue with how things are being run in the United States, you know, just get out kind of thing. So it's widely understood that Trump was referring to, and now understood that it was, Trump was referring to four women, in, in particular uh, Minnesota Representative Ilan Omar, New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Massachusetts Representative Elena Presley, and Michigan Representative Rashida Tlaib. The tweets came after the congresswoman appeared before a committee to address what they you know, had said it were inhumane living conditions at the migrant camps in Texas. Um, but, but to be clear, only one of those women, Omar, was born outside of the United States. She's a Somalian refugee. So the statement is, is just straight up <laughs> inaccurate. All four of the um, uh, women are American citizens. However, not one of them is white, which many say is more to the essence of, of uh, President Trump's tweets. Of course, as should be expected, it has created a massive uproar with politicians and celebrities and all sorts weighing in condemning the tweets as racist. So let's talk about this. They're, they're known as the squad, these four women, these four Democratic congresswomen, sort of freshmen to the scene of politics. They're all new. What, what what sets them apart from other Democrats? Well, they're they're certainly, if not actually representing the most progressive wing of the Democratic Party, certainly advancing themselves as that. They they exist almost more as activists than lawmakers. Mm. Um, and I, in my mind, that is both by virtue of their actual politics and what they're calling for. And kind of their self-branding and the way they're operating. I mean, the fact that they've been tagged with a moniker like the squad and they're mm. very social media savvy. They're very out yes. there. There have been open schisms within the Democratic Party um, where they've been sort of quasi openly at war with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi um, because they are dissatisfied with what they see as sort of a conciliatory incrementalism mm. within their party. Personally, as sort of a semi-crusty old person myself, I would like to jump into a time machine and see in 20 or so years if they maybe think that incrementalism is right. an okay thing. I'm sort of fascinated by this tension between youthful energy and a refusal to settle for, for good enough and versus, you know, the kind of, like, I think that the thing from Pelosi in the meeting was y'all are trying to make pate and we're here <laughs> to make sausage. Like that was kind of her beautiful image. I, I'm just sort of really interested in that tension yes. between idealism and, and really pushing the boundaries and just trying to get things done. And so, like, but the effect of like, it's, it's amazing with Trump that yeah. it's such a cliche that every time you think there's a new low, there's somewhere <laughs> else to go. Like what, what he said is so ugly and so dark mm -hmm. and so obvious in its implications on a couple of levels. I mean, your skin is the wrong hue, therefore you must be from somewhere else that mm -hmm. is inherently like corrupt and yep. awful and go back. But I also Crime find festival. quite chilling, like even if you strip away the naked racism in it, the notion that if you have anything critical to say about the United States or you think there's anything we could be doing better, you are effectively a traitor who should leave. That hmm. is a really 
gross razor sharp kind of line to draw that obviously his base is loving. Yeah. And the some some pointed out the distinction even between what Trump said, which is they can go back, let him leave. And what happened at his rally a couple of nights ago in North Carolina, yeah, which is the yeah. chant of send her back about yeah. Ilan Omar, the the one who wasn't born in the in the States, although she's a citizen, she's an elected congresswoman, she's you know, as American as anybody. Um, the difference between let them leave if they don't like it here and send, send her back. Yeah, this this active point. attack um, that she should be exiled because she is not one of us for her beliefs, for her appearance, for her for her politics. That is uh, certainly not America's better spirits well, isn't, playing out. Isn't that idea of send her back like legitimately written into law as like a racist slur? I think it's in like employment code in the United States. Like the idea of um, you know telling someone or referring to someone that they don't belong here is actually a racist um, sentiment. Essentially, because they look different cannot truly be American, yeah. ever, despite the fact that they were born here. Right. They're not really Americans. And <laughs> like you, can, you, can, you can sort of squint and, and say, all right, you know, someone who was not born here but took on citizenship, they actively wanted to join, and, and we let them join. I mean, that's, that's typically yes. seen as an irrevocable thing. You are part of the, the, the family now. But the idea that people who are as as American as Donald yeah. Trump were born or in more. <laughs> Ocasio-Cortez's case, born in the same city as yeah. Donald Trump, but yeah. they're not really Americans. Right. She's not really a New Yorker. She can never be really a New Yorker uh, or an American. It's it, staggering. I mean, that, that rally was pretty, it was pretty alarming. I think the CBC in particular has done a really effective job. I've only been listening rather than watching TV of of using that audio, that thundering chant mm-hmm. interspersed with Trump's kind of mealy-mouthed quotes after trying to disavow it. I, I, his 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 cowardice is astonishing on stuff like this. Mm-hmm. He stood, I think it was Katie Simpson and others pointed out, full 13 seconds at that podium mm-hmm. and let them go on with his, you know, satisfied arms wide. Yeah. And then the next day when questioned about it, it says, oh, I didn't like that at no. all. I shut it down as fast as I could. I spoke quickly. Um, yeah. It, it's after. just, it, it's like, it's beyond dishonesty. It's just this bewildering, the sky is not blue. What are you talking about? And and the fact that he won't even own it. Um, but that crowd was loving it. There oh. was like that kind oh. of like toxic electricity yeah. in the air that you can feel. Like fury. I can't even imagine what it is like to be a non-white person or a <sighs> new American and hear that in the air and know that they're talking about you. And to bring it back to, to Canada, it does seem as though a switch has been flipped on some of this. I mean, there are a lot of leaders who have been reluctant to, world leaders who have been reluctant to criticize Trump. He is the president. They have to deal with him, whether they want to or not. And some of this stuff is domestic American politics that, you know, typically countries stay out of each other's business. But yeah, Trudeau, after an initial kind of mealy mouth, yes, I think it was. Canadians know where I stand, uh, said yesterday, standing next to the, the president of the European Council, um, he condemned the, the, the Trump stuff unequivocally. Donald Tusk, the former mm-hmm. prime minister of Poland, yes. now I- effectively the president of the EU, unbidden began his remarks in a closing press conference by saying, you know, I feel very at home here in Montreal, uh, not least because it's the most uh, European of North American cities, but because no one shouted, send him back at me. Our newsroom gasped when we heard that. Yeah. The the 
intensity of that of reaction. That. Yeah. And he, then he was asked to elaborate on that actually by by Mike Blanchfield, one of our CP's yeah. reporters. And he sort of thought you could you could watch the wheels turning behind his eyes. And he's a fluent English speaker, but he was picking his words very carefully, but did not mince them at right. all. You know, this and is not he specifically alluded to, to that balancing act, right? Where he yeah. said there are times when right. he you just have to say what's right or stand up for what's right, sort of alluding to the yeah, this is all messy and we have to deal with trade and all this other stuff, but sometimes we yeah. gotta just say it. There has been, you know, comments that um, perhaps Trudeau and even Andrew Shear, who also commented, the conservative leader Andrew Shear, um, didn't go far enough by condemning it as racist. And there's been talk about whether or not we should use the term racist, even in our reporting, in journalist reporting of. Can you call it out and say just blatantly it's racist, or is that too you know is it subjective? Um, how far does it go? And, and and it does make me wonder. Trump has said things before that are on the verge of racially charged or around immigration policy or whatever it is. Why this time? You know, does this does this time um, cross a certain line? What about it crossed that line? I mean, I, I'm from the journalistic school that's very cautious about trying to about saying that we know what's in someone's mind. You know, it, a person can say things that are not true. Can we declare them to be lies unless we know what's going on in their head? Unless we have documentary evidence that that you know they knew what they were saying at the time was not true? I think we should not call them lies. We can lay out the facts, and, yeah. and it can be fairly clear. But unless we know, we don't say it. The and and so with that in mind, I think the pileup of Trump's statements, I, I think a reasonable person could certainly conclude that he's racist, that he's – or white supremacist, which maybe has a very finely shaded distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the idea where this, where this has maybe taken the extra step is what I was talking about earlier – is the idea that he's putting forward that these Americans are not true Americans right. and can't be right. for – fairly obvious reasons. And again, that's sort of textbook racism. Yeah. Like, like David, I have a certain amount of sympathy. I mean, I know the New York Times in particular gets dunked on, sometimes deservedly so, for its very careful language about this. It used to be sort of racially charged was kind of their go-to descriptor. I think this week the new twist was racially imbued and people were having some, some fun mm. with that. Like, for God's sake, is it an infused oil? But I do have a certain amount of sympathy and time for good faith intelligence discussions that that hinge on journalistic style because we do have a lot of uh, outlets that have very careful standards of when you can declare something categorically to be something as loaded as that. Um, This sentiment would seem to be pretty obvious in its intent along with the follow-up and the kind of context around it. Um, it, it, I mean, Trudeau's first sort of I wouldn't even call it a disavowal, was I thought fell well short because mm-hmm. it was so sort of glib. It was like a fait accompli. Well, that that is not how we do things in Canada. Well, well. Canada doesn't have its stuff completely sorted out when it comes to stuff like that. So smugness is not a great look for any of us. Right. But it's it also that that statement, which perhaps to his credit, he and his team realized after to not go far enough, really sidesteps the and I don't like it and disapprove of it. It just sort of says 
that is just not our way. Right. So um, the 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 comment yesterday was certainly much stronger without you know using a, a term as charged as racist. I think he said unacceptable and hurtful and yeah, because I think that the the risk there that he he crossed too is. Well, some of that stuff is said in Canada, you know. Of course it is. Yeah. So of course it is. By saying that, it's like we're above that. Well, no, we're not. So anyway, yeah, I think he 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 switched his tone a little bit there. Um, the question I have, you know, so so the House of Representatives have since passed a resolution of of con- condemnation, and and Nancy Pelosi said every quote every single member of this institution, Democratic and Republican, should join us in condemning the president's racial tweets. Um, to to do anything less would be a shocking rejection of our values and a shameful um, abdic- abdication of our oath to, of office to protect the American people. So is. Let me. Ju- I, I'm going to throw something in yes. about that. This, in many ways, I don't know, Trump has a gift for exploiting divisions among his opponents. I mean, this this and using social media and drawing attention to, you know, waving red banners over here to attract attention. Nancy Pelosi had a problem on her hands. She had four high-profile renegade um, congresswomen who were really giving the Democratic establishment, as represented by Nancy Pelosi, fits. Then Trump comes out and does what he does, and now they can close ranks, and she can and must and did stick up for them mm-hmm. and <coughs> unite Democrats against this this particularly egregious form of attack. So right. it's... I do wonder whether Trump's evil genius failed him. I don't wonder. Yeah. I think Trump's evil genius obviously It's one of those rare moments eh, where his lizard brain just did him no favors because that those very public divisions in the Democratic Party were not a good look and they were not yeah. productive. True. And that was the news of the day like five days ago or a week ago. Right. Uh, and he very neatly solved that for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Uh, okay. We might disagree about some things, but we but do we not disagree not. Yeah. about that yeah. guy. Yeah. And, and we can all get behind that. Point. that. Yeah. Um, is that all you can do? Is that all? Like, what is a resolution of condemnation? Like, it's just a symbolic just a thing, sentiment. right? Yeah. It's a sentiment. It's, it's a yeah. We uh, don't agree with this. I, I mean, I think I think it is. If you are if you are interested in racial justice, I think that that's a an important symbolic step. It you know you you take every formal step that you can to yeah. say no, this is not okay. But I mean, the president is the president, yeah. and there's we're, a thing that we are learning every single day yeah. in American politics is that. There are things the president can do and nobody can stop him. Yep. Yep. And two, for me, like the question is, as, as we, I sort of said, I, this does seem like a new low, as improbable as that, that is in the grand scheme of mm-hmm. things. But every time he pushes the envelope and goes beyond what you had previously thought was the pale, I just wonder, is there anything that man can do that's going to lose him? His base. I don't yeah. know what the shades of committedness are of the people who got him to the White House in the first place, but... Like, like this was a pretty ugly new level, but in very incremental ways, I'm not sure what you could learn about Donald Trump today or tomorrow or what you learned about him six months ago that you would consider disqualifying if in November of 2016, you did not consider that. Hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like there are f- mm-hmm. for sure always and forever with him new levels to be reached or new nadirs. Mm-hmm. But I, I just sort of in terms of like the where does this go and, yeah. and what's going to happen in a year and a half? Um, 
I don't know. I just really question like whether he's showing an ugly underbelly that people who don't already like him didn't already know was there and kind of yeah. like in some way. Yeah, and it rallies him up. So so on onwards to our third segment here. If you haven't seen it, you've probably heard about it. People around the world are making themselves look very old and posting it all over social media. The Face app uses artificial intelligence software to transform users' faces into highly edited versions of themselves. So there's filters to make you look young, more masculine, more feminine, different colored hair, and again, just plain wrinkled and old, which seems to be the most popular that's sort of gone viral. We've seen celebrities like Drake and, and Justin Bieber and... Um, you know, Stephen Colbert and the Jonas Brothers, even the Toronto mayor, I saw John Tory um, tried it out, which was interesting. <laughs> David's um, eyebrows just jumped yeah. off his face. Yeah, they're pretty striking. Some of them from. How much older can John Tory get? <laughs> Good question. Uh, ooh, sting. So, so some of them are quite quite accurate looking, and said it's said to have projected you out at thirty years. And I have to admit, I tried it. Oh, did you? I tried it, and it. I hope, hope to God it's not thirty years. I hope it's like fifty years from now. <laughs> but who knows? Um, so it says all seems to be to be fun and games, obviously, until we're reminded that those photos you're you're allowing FaceApp to access and all the other information you give it when you sign up can be used for alternative purposes. So the app is Russian backed by the parent company Wireless Labs. The data the data collected will more than likely be used to to build and improve facial recognition software. But we've kind of seen that all of a sudden it went viral, even though it started in 2017. It was it was around when in 2017. Um, but it's suddenly gone viral. I think the whole thing caught on this week because someone screen grabbed a section of the terms of service and mm. posted yes. it on social media and kind of went, holy crap, because the it? terms of service were like, in perpetuity, we can use <laughs> it for advertising or whatever we want. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have enough legal knowledge of how common that is in terms of service. I would actually imagine cynically very common. I think and that's what you're agreeing to everywhere. It's just that people, I think yes. a couple things went on. People noticed here. They heard Russia. They and, heard Russia. I and think. they kind of yep. mapped some meaning onto that. And it kind of was like almost like one of those like ghost ghost chain letters that just everyone all of a sudden <laughs> at once went, what are we doing? Whoa. And also the fact that yeah. I guess the way the app works, um, you it, it stores your it, – it takes your photo to the yes. cloud to do the processing on it and then sends it back mm -hmm. to your device. So there yes. was this sense of like it's not remaining in your hands. No, it's not like a filter on Instagram or something. It, it changes the photo in the cloud and then it also, I think, there's this, the, you know, when you, you sign on, it says, can allow FaceApp to have access to all your photos. So then there's that concern well, as well. why would anybody say yes, yes to that? I know. Like, I don't mean to yeah. be like a grumpy old lady, but <laughs> holy cow. Just, no, I know. No. Well, so, I think rather than, than I, I, I think it's very common for these terms terms of service to be very sweeping just sure. to cover any conceivable yeah, right. eventuality the company you know has its butt covered so just request access to all the stuff and no nobody will have any recourse afterwards it, the fact that the stuff is going to a company in Russia does uh, crank up the sinisterness <laughs> a little bit but I don't I don't like I don't understand what the appeal is supposed to be I don't really want to know I, they're very high quality and images can, can and that part though, is David, cool that as parents of young children we don't need an app yeah, to age yeah. us and, and tell us that. what we'll look like, like in the last yeah. 10 years I have aged those yeah, 30 yeah, yeah. years right I, but what like what, what the is deal the, is like what so I'll send all my personal information to Russia and in exchange I get back an old age syphilis like that, that deal seems to make 
make as much sense to me as an image of myself as a very old person. I picture like them sitting around a boardroom and be like, ah, (laughs) yes. We'll send them old photos of themselves. That'll do it. (laughs) So one thing I read in an article made a great deal of sense to me, and it applies across the board, not just to this, that when you see terms of service that look... um, kind of alarmingly sweeping that in a lot of cases, what those companies are trying to do is they have no idea how they'll use your data, Mm -hmm. but they know that someday they might be able to monetize it. So they just want to cover all of it. It might not be that like the Russians are going to save your, like my first thought, like just knee jerk was like, oh, they're trying to assemble a bunch of real like representative looking North Americans to like populate bot avatars. And then I thought, well, you could get those photos anywhere you don't Mm -hmm. need, Mm -hmm. but, but if you set aside the idea that like there's something inherently alarming about a Russian company doing this, it's just that they're building a massive data set that they know they might be able to sell or monetize right. in some way down the road for who knows what purpose. So they want to get you to check off a box that gives them access to all of it and like they'll figure out what to do with it later. Right. Yeah. Which is in a way way more alarming. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure they don't even know I'm what sure the plan every is. other app and <laughs> social media platform you use is well, the same. Is that that you just sort of say, here's my shoebox of stuff. Yep, you get to keep it on a shelf and someday maybe you'll figure out some way you can like make money from Snapchat it. or Instagram or whatever, Facebook you, or Flickr, any of those sites that you upload a tons of photos to. I mean, they're all, they all could potentially do the same thing. But yeah, they could go off and sell it to Amazon for bundles of money. You never, or you might see yourself on a billboard somewhere. I don't know. Like some of it, to some extent, the purpose might be just improving the algorithm. Like if, if they're just trying to build a, a machine learning training set to make the app better so that you spend more time on it so that at, at, you're worth more to advertisers because like like in some ways the real like they're really just merchants of your attention yeah. so maybe the material isn't going outside the app but it's just to make you more mesmerized by the little slot machine in your hands which is also alarming in its own mm-hmm. way yeah what do you going back to your point David, like what do you think it is from like a, a cultural sociological whatever standpoint that we what does it say about us that we really like to p- want to see ourselves age <laughs> and and show it's a it good to question. Others. Like, what are any of these trends about? Like, yeah, what are we I really doing? In this particular case, I, I'm, I'm just guessing, but I think it actually just is the high quality of the image. <laughs> like, it's not blurry. It's not no, it's like these are good. these are very precise. <laughs> it it, and I think there's a certain G whiz quality to it. Like, I've mm. I've never seen software doing what this does right, as well right. as this cool. stuff does it. So it's just kind of cool to look at. Yeah. Kind of the 2019 equivalent of, uh, if you're of a certain age, you know, walking in a mall and there being a camcorder trained on the outside of the of a store and then you could see your face on that's the right. on TV, which was very cool at the time. Same sort of thing. Like, oh, that's just cool. That's just cool. Yeah. And yeah. maybe at the same time, if the magic trick is to show yourself, to show you yourself as an old person, then you get to look in a mirror and go, oh, that doesn't happen yet. Yes, right. All right. Right. And, and maybe better eat better. it's but, a comparative thing too. But like also to Sarah's point, like there's been other trends that have caught on that didn't have to do with, like I agree with you, the technological magic trick here I think is a big draw and it is pretty well done. But remember when there was the 10 the year challenge a oh, few yeah. months back on Facebook and yes. then everyone oh, yeah. was speculating there that they were again, if you wanted to build a perfect, you know, facial recognition training set of people right. 10 years apart, blah, blah, blah. And everyone grabbed onto that, even though all you were doing were grabbing two of your profile pictures that already existed. So in that case, like, what is the psychological urge there? Like, sure, there's a little bit of like, I guess, a harmless sort of narcissism. There's everyone's yes. playing along. There's the kick of nostalgia. Um I just, I've just become sort of like, and I have to get better at it, reflexively 
kind of skeptical to outright suspicious about any of this stuff mm-hmm. that comes along with mm-hmm. you just have to kind of stop and go if someone wants you to do this like if you seem free. to be beckoned <laughs> to participate in some way what is going on? Like, yeah. What are you getting, to your point, f- for the trade-off of the stuff you're sending? Yeah. But it's hard, right? Like, things move fast. We all want to have fun and, and grab onto the thing everyone yes. else is posting on their social media. Yes. It's just, I don't know. It's weird. It runs and up against human nature. It's not like it makes you look incredible. It makes you look like an old 80-year-old. Anyway, we're going to go into the weekend looking like ourselves. <laughs> uh, can I get your Twitter handles, please? I am at David Reefley. And I am at S Proudfoot. And I am at Turnbull Sarah. Have a great weekend. Canada has welcomed the digital economy like few other countries, but we're still reliant on physical identity documents to access government services or complete high-value transactions. Interact is working to address this gap and make a secure, convenient, and private-enhancing digital ID ecosystem a reality for Canadians. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Before we let you go, just a quick word from a podcast we've been getting into. Tune in to Bad and Bitchy, an intersectional feminist podcast, bringing you real feminist news, real feminist takes, and real intersectional feminism. Listen and support independent feminist media in this time of resistance. Stay woke, stay bitchy.